So Austin paid me a compliment just a minute ago when he, uh, when he said I was a, a, good, a good carpenter. Let me say this. Austin is a much better carpenter than I am. And uh, Austin's humility is not a false humility, nor is my humility a false humility, but Austin is a fantastic carpenter. Austin does a lot of things better than me. He teaches better than me. He, uh, he cooks better than me, because I really don't. He is a carpenter better than me. He's a better problem solver than me. He's stronger than me, not taller than me. But uh, I will tell you unashamedly one thing that I can do better than Austin Jowers. I can clean a mean work site. <laughs> I come behind Austin, because we work together, for those of you that are visiting. I come behind Austin after he's put in a good hard day's work. Austin's solved problems. He's made homes safe for people to live in so they don't come crashing down. And we all lose our jobs and people lose their lives. And I come in and I sweep up behind him. I pick up nails that he's discarded. I sweep up the debris that he's left in the wake of his build. And I do it like a champion. So Austin, thank you for letting me come behind you and clean your mess. Because <laughs> I do it better than you. And I'm content with that. I'm content with being a lesser man than Austin Jowers. I'm okay with that. Okay? I'm okay with that. I'm content. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm content with that. And it just so happens that today we'll be talking about contentment. Now, this is a much easier sermon to preach than to apply. Because I think by default, we're all selfish to a degree. We all struggle with contentment. We all want the next best thing. We all want that, that pay raise. We all want that, 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 uh, that promotion. You know, maybe we want to be a little happier in our marriages. Maybe not. Maybe your spouse is like, I'd rather just be out of this altogether. <laughs> maybe not. We all, I think, by default, because of the fall, start out with a selfish disposition as opposed to a content, joyful disposition. Who better to learn from than the Apostle Paul? Who has more street credibility than the Apostle Paul? Other than Jesus, no one, and not in my opinion, as far as what we see in the text. So let me read, well, Austin has already read it. So let me give you the thesis for today. So this is kind of how we're going to be trekking together. I'm going to have points behind all of this, but it all is to put support under this thesis. And here it is. Contentment is not circumstantial, but rather it's the byproduct of peace with God. Contentment is not circumstantial. That's, that's how we treat it. That's how we live, move, and have our being as though contentment is circumstantial. How the rest of your day goes will, for a lot of us, depend or it will set the standard or the tone for our joy. If we leave here for some of us and we don't get to go where we want to go as our favorite restaurant or mom or dad or whoever's not cooking what we would like to have, that is going to alter our joy. We're not going to find contentment. And we're going we're to become selfish. And those root issues that are a part of our default mechanism because of the fall are going to start to rear their ugly head because we're going to put our hope in our circumstance as opposed to peace with God. This is just how we operate. It's how I operate all the time. I came up to this text and I thought, you know, I struggle so much with contentment. I like stuff so much. 
And I start getting convicted and I feel myself getting angry with the Lord. I'm like, you made me this way. <laughs> you made me like stuff and I've got to fight this so hard because, because I like to have stuff and I find myself not content with so many things. I mean, I was that kid growing up that asked my parents before Christmas, if you'll just get me this now, I promise I don't have to have anything for Christmas. My wife might say, might say I do that now. That's okay. She lies. Don't, don't pay attention. You know, so, so that, that was me. And, I, and if I could get away with it, and maybe I still try to get away with that some, I, I will. Because I'm like, you know, why, why put off till tomorrow what you could have today? What's this idea of delayed gratification? It's, 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 that is a concept from the pits of hell. It's instant gratification. That's the way I feel. That's the way I treat it. That's the way that I approach it. So, so the idea of contentment is very difficult for me. But I'm reminding myself and reminding you that contentment is not circumstantial, but rather it's the byproduct of peace with God. In other words, if you wanna be content, truly content, if that's what you want, as a follower of Christ, you wanna be happy, joyful, content with things, not someone whose joy is determined by what you will have or what you used to have, but your joy is determined by something that is completely otherwise, something that's out of this world, something that is supernatural, gifted, supernaturally gifted to you, and that is the peace of God. So that's where we wanna get at the end of the day. So a few things to go through to kind of support this thesis. Contentment is not circumstantial, but rather it's the byproduct of peace with God. Contentment is never circumstantial. The first step in being content, the first step in being content in all circumstances, which is what Paul said, just look back with me. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, I, now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he says, you know what? I get it. I get it. You, you were concerned with me. Now, they showed concern because they sent him Epaphroditus. A gift was brought, but they had even more concern. The church wanted to bless him with blessings upon blessing. They wanted to do even more for him, and he's recognizing that. He says, I get it. I get that you want to bless me, and that's cool. And I get it. Sometimes you just don't have the opportunity, and Paul's not holding that against them because his whole point in saying that as he revisits this again, because this is the other bookend, he started it with being thankful for their gift. Now he's ending it with being thankful for their gift, but he's saying, but your gift is not the source of my joy. It wasn't through your gift that I've learned to be content. He said, because I've learned to be content with plenty but I've also learned to be content when hungry and I've learned content when I'm in abundance or when I'm without. So his contentment was not based on the circumstance, the circumstance being the gift that they wanted to bring to him. He's making that very clear. It's not based on what you have or what you don't have. Contentment is not where you live or where you don't live, but we do that sometimes, right? Maybe, maybe you're in the dormitory and you'd rather be in an apartment. You're not content with being in the dorm because it smells bad. At least the guys' dorms did. Sorry, ladies, the guys' dorms usually smell bad because they're guys. You're not content with that. I want to get out of here. The wall, I feel like I'm in a jail cell. Not that I've experienced that, but I'm not content. Seems something kind of frivolous, kind of silly to be discontent with, but it happens. We want to live in a place like O'Neill Village, the land of milk and honey, but we don't. Not all of us, right? We want to live here. We're like, ah, I just wish I could be here where the houses are five feet apart. I want to be here. If I'm gonna cut my yard, I want it to take 35 seconds and that's it. 
Some of you desire that. But you're not content when you don't have it. But contentment's not based on your circumstance. Not where you live or where you don't live or what you have or where you don't have. It's not in what you make or what you don't make. It's not in the person you're with or the person you're not with. And I think people who are single and have been in relationships in life can relate to that. If you're in a marriage, you can probably relate to that. Hopefully you can't. But maybe you've had a moment in your marriage where it's like, you know what, what if? And I'm not saying that's good. I'm saying that might be reality. That needs a change in perspective. But maybe you've been there. I'm just not content. What if I would have ended up here? What if I would have ended up there? Maybe God got it wrong. I'm struggling to find contentment. It's not an issue of circumstance. It's an issue of heart. How many of us have ever thought, if I could just have this, I would never want for anything again. I could just, if I could just get that. You know, if I could just have that Nintendo, if I could just have that Xbox, if I could just have that PlayStation, if I could just have that, that that's the console to end all consoles. That's what I want. Well, something else comes out. Or the same thing comes out with a different kind of casing. I gotta have that. We find ourselves not being content. We've all been there. Hey, I just want that and I'll be okay. If I can just have that, I'll be happy. I know I've gotten these raises in the past, but if I could just get one more, man, we will be set. We'll be good. We'll be happy. Do some research sometimes and follow the lottery winners and how many of them will articulate how much sorrow they've encountered since having won the lottery. They just had a lottery worth millions and millions and millions of dollars and somebody won it, you know, uh, where was it? Just for Simpsonville or something like that? I just wonder what, what that's gonna do for their life, what that's gonna bring into their life because generally speaking, when people speak out about their winnings, it brings about all kinds of pain and all kinds of trouble and discontentment because no amount of money can supply your joy because it's not meant to. You're not wired for that. I've met a lot of wealthy people who act as though they have nothing at all. Absolutely nothing at all. I like movies. A long time ago, they came out with a movie in 1997, I believe it was, called Wall Street with Charlie Sheen and with uh, Michael Douglas. And he played the role of Gordon Gecko, and he was a Wall Street tycoon. And so then they remade that movie. It wasn't a remake. I think it was a sequel to that movie in 2010, played by Michael Douglas and also played by Shia LaBeouf. And so in that movie, also having Josh Brolin, who's an actor that I kind of like, there's this scene where things are kind of going belly up. Shia LaBeouf's character comes to Josh Brolin's character and says, man, when is enough gonna be enough? Because in order to get rich, he's destroying the lives of so many people. He's saying, when is it gonna be enough? And his quote is this, he says, you see, I find that everyone has a number and it's usually an exact number. So what's your number? And Brolin's character looks at him and says, more, more is my number. And I think that captures the sentiment of a lot of American ideology. More, that is quintessential discontentment. And it's not rooted in the gospel, it's not rooted in faith, it's not rooted in the hope of Christ. It's rooted in secularism. It's rooted in sin, it's rooted in a fallen state. But I've met tons of people that their number would be more. I'll be happy when I have this. My car's getting me, I'm telling myself, I'm telling on myself because I want another vehicle. I've mentioned that already, all right? And it's not your job to hold me accountable to any of this after I say it, okay? So let me just say it. 
Want a new vehicle? I'm looking at my vehicle. I'm like, okay, it's got 156,000 miles. It's still cranking. Yeah, I've driven it for 13 years. I will readily admit I don't need another one. I think it's okay to get another vehicle. I think it's fine, but I will admit if whether or not I get the vehicle determines my joy, then I've got a problem. I've got a serious heart issue because I'm allowing a circumstance to determine my joy. I've met a lot of impoverished people who were joyful. I have an image that I want to put on the screen if Jake can do that. I went to Guatemala a few years ago, and I know it's hard to see the TV for y'all that are sitting over there. We have it on the agenda to get another TV for there so that people can see uh, more better. But so here we are. We have this. Uh, this is in Guatemala. This was one of the, we're all in the mountains, and this is one of the villages there. And you can see the, the, the tin that's on. This is their home. This is their home. I think uh, the church the year before had actually come here and they put the tin on this house just to kind of repair it, give it a little bit of a facelift to withstand the elements a little bit better. And this is one of the poorest places I've ever been. There's probably places like uh, Haiti that are much more impoverished, but this was a very, very impoverished place that I was at two years ago, two, two Octobers ago. And I remember coming here and we'd come from this side and we'd hike up the mountain and there'd be a little trail that took us right there. And there are a lot of places that look very similar to this, but all of them were on this mountain. And I remember this particular place, there was a huge family living there, tons of kids, tons of kids, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and some others. And I just remember sitting there thinking as I approached the place, my goodness, I would hate to live here. Typical American sentiment, I'd hate to live here. Man, these people must be miserable was my thought. How could they be happy? How could they be content with living on dirt, literally, in a tin hut? That's it. Yeah, maybe it's galvanized, but it's a tin hut. And I saw these kids running around playing. They didn't care. I said, I don't know if I've ever seen children so excited. Maybe Eddie Grace <laughs> about her dear friend, Alan. So I saw these kids playing and I was, they, they love it. They love it. Now they don't have opulence and they don't have all those things to compare it to. So it would probably be a tragedy to introduce them to those things. But they were so happy. And I'm not saying they had the joy of the Lord. I'm not saying they were followers of Christ. I'm just saying they were, they were content. As, as much as you can be content in your circumstances as someone who's not a follower of Christ. So I want to clear my basis there. But they ran around. They were content. But many of the people in that village had received Christ years prior because this church kept making the same visit and kept expanding their reach with the gospel year after year after year. So we did come across people that did know the gospel, still living in a hut. I wish they could come over here and say, hey, look, look, contrary to popular belief among some in the Christian world, the, the, the determining factor or the evidence for God's love for you is not measured in treasures. It's not measured in what you have. It's not in a prosperity gospel. It's in the fact that Jesus has given himself for, for all who would call on him, for all who would believe. So I wish they would come and evangelize us and show us uh, what true contentment is and what the true favor of Christ is. It's that you can have joy living on dirt in a hunk of tin for all of your life. That's what the gospel does. And that's what true contentment and true, um, true contentment brings to us. So I've seen both sides of it. Thank you, Austin. Our problem is that we look for contentment in all the wrong places. We look for it in all the wrong places. I'm sure all of you, if not all of you, 
most of you have seen Back to the Future, the first one, Back to the Future, which I think was 1985. Do you remember the card that they used in Back to the Future? The DeLorean, yeah. It was a 1981 DeLorean. And if you remember the movie, Dr. Emmett Brown introduces Marty to the time machine, the DeLorean DMC-12. In order to travel through time, the vehicle integrated with the flux capacitor needed to be traveling at 88 miles per hour and required 121 gigawatts of power, originally supplied by a plutonium-powered nuclear reactor, the flux capacitor. There's shirts that have a flux capacitor. It's really remarkable. Kind of nerdy, but I like it. But what powered the DeLorean? Do you remember? Garbage. They put garbage in the DeLorean to power it. And so I got to thinking about that. And I thought, you know, you could try to put fuel in the DeLorean. I know this is fictitious, but you could try to put fuel in the DeLorean and it's not going to go. It's not going to move because it's specifically designed to be fueled by garbage. Now I can put bad fuel in my vehicle and it might go a little ways, but it will tear up something. But for those of you who are in Christ, and I would say anybody, those who are made in God's image, you are designed to such a degree that there's only one fuel source that can make you go, that can truly empower you towards contentment. And that is the peace of God. That's what Paul says is the secret, just to show you some of my cards. And so we're designed a very specific way with a very specific fuel source. Call it the gospel, call it peace of God, all of these things. This is what fuels us and this is what ultimately brings us true, meaningful, biblical, salvific contentment. This answers the questions as to how someone can have everything and still lack contentment. It's because they're trying to be fueled by the wrong source. They're trying to move off of the wrong fuel. So contentment is never circumstantial, but that's what we look for. I want this circumstance to empower me. I want this circumstance to fuel me. I'll find joy here. I'll be happy if this, I'll be happy if I could just get in the right relationship. I'll be happy if I could just have the right vehicle or live in the right house, etc. But the reality is that it's not circumstantial. It's not meant to be. Contentment is not the natural disposition of believers. It has to be fostered. It's cultivated. Listen to what Paul says. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And then he says, I have learned the secret to face, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he says it two times there, I've learned, which implies that there was a time where he didn't know it. And then he becomes a follower of Christ and then he has to be taught. He has to go through experience and the Lord has to take him as clay and start to fashion him and show him what he needs to look like and show him this is what's gonna fuel you. You're gonna, you're gonna try to find contentment here and you're gonna try to find contentment there because sheep do what? They wander. You're gonna try, but you're gonna, you're gonna end up shipwrecked. You're gonna end up in catastrophe after catastrophe because those things aren't meant to fill you up. But you have to learn contentment and this has to be fostered. And this should come as good news because every one of us at some point and maybe a lot of us right now are thinking, I'm, I'm struggling to be content here. I've been, a, I've been a follower of Christ for years and I still battle contentment. Guess what? It's a process. It's a learned process. 
We have to grow and learn in that. And God graciously navigates us through that and shows us these things. And it's a two-way street. You know, those who draw, God will draw near to those who draw near to them. So there's a responsibility that you have rather than just sitting out there hoping that one day God will bestow it on you without any effort on your part. So I, for one, am gonna listen to Paul when he tells me to be content in every situation. It's one thing for me to be dead broke and listen to a millionaire teach me about contentment during times of financial strain. Just not gonna have a lot of clout with me. You know, how much do you have in the bank? Ah, a couple of billion dollars. You ever been without? Nah, born into it. But let me teach you about being content with nothing. Nah, pass. It's another thing to listen to someone tell me to be content in all situations when they've proven to be content in all situations. Paul had street cred. What does it mean when Paul says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need? Listen to this. He says, I've learned to be brought low. I've learned how to be brought low. Acts 14, 9, he's stoned and he's left out of the city, presumed to be dead. He goes into Lystra with Barnabas. Yeah, he goes into the city with Barnabas. They're preaching and teaching. A man is healed. Paul has, Paul has, has, has been gifted with the, with the ability to heal in Jesus. And so he sees this man who had faith. And he says, get up, get up and walk. People see this, they freak out. They say, Zeus and Hermes have come down. I mean, this is a pagan city. Zeus and Hermes have come down. Let's worship Paul, who is Hermes, the primary messenger, and let's worship Zeus, represented in Barnabas. And Paul says, no, 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 we are just men. We are just men. And then they, some, some of the leaders from Antioch came down and they beat them. Well, stoned Paul and drug him out of the city. And the, uh, the disciples rallied around and presumed him to be dead. In Acts 16, 22, Paul was attacked He's beaten with rods, he's imprisoned, he's fastened with stocks. In 2 Corinthians 6, but as, uh, but as servants of God, Paul says, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in what? In affliction, in hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. I can identify with sleepless nights. And not even for Jesus' sake, really. I just happen to have too much tea sometime before I go to bed and I can't sleep. So that's about as close as I can come to Paul. I haven't been beat. I haven't been truly hungry. I haven't had riots come on me. I haven't been attacked or stoned or had calamities fall upon me for the sake of the gospel, but Paul has. So he knows what it is to be brought low and yet he finds contentment. So yeah, I'm gonna listen to Paul. I'm gonna listen to what he says. And he also says, I have learned to be content with nothing, but I've also learned to be content with plenty. We don't think of it that way all the time. We think of being content as, well, I don't have much, but I need to be content with that. And that's right, and that's great. And maybe because we don't consider ourselves as those who have plenty. But when you compare yourself to the rest of the world who lives on the side of mountains on top of mud in galvanized tin huts, we have more than plenty. We're the richest nation in the world. We have plenty. But how do we manage what we have? If you're truly content, you can manage plenty because you know what? All that stuff, the haves and the have-nots, they become accessories to the main thing and you can do with or without them. There's an old adage that says, in order to carry a full cup, one must have a steady hand. And that's the sentiment. If God has gifted you with plenty, if he's gifted you with much, what kind of steward are you with that? 
Has, has that caused you to not lean in or press into the peace of God that will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus? Or has that plenty caused you to rest on your bounty or on what is plentiful? Like Scrooge McDuck, if you remember that cartoon, who used to, uh, who used to s- swim or bathe in his mountains of gold. That's the image that I get in my brain. Maybe you're more sophisticated than me, but that's what I, that's what I image. Our sinful nature is set up with a disposition of selfishness rather than contentment. It's like a kid who, and my kids do this, maybe your kids do this, maybe you do this. My kids can have nice, cool toys. When my mother-in-law comes to town, she takes them all to buy them some cool toys. They come home, they're playing with a brand new toy, brand new toy, latest Nerf gun. Marley's into Play-Doh type stuff. I'm like, that's cool. So she's into her dough and making things and that's awesome. But there can be an old ball that one of the dogs has chewed up and it's collected a little bit of dirt because maybe I haven't vacuumed, right? And if one kid says, I'm gonna play with that, it's like we forget all our other toys. I heard a pastor say something like this the other day and he says, aren't you glad we grew out of that? But that's, that's the image of discontentment. Contentment is not the natural disposition of believers. It's to be fostered, cultivated. It has to be learned. This is what Paul teaches us. Contentment is the byproduct of peace with God. Now we're getting to the answer. We're getting to it, okay? You're looking at this. You're saying, okay, how can I, how can I discover this? How can I become content? This is a little pre-application before the primary application of the text. Contentment is the byproduct of peace with God. If you look at this, and this is how I'm reading it, how I understand it, how I, how I believe this, this is written and intended to be understood. This is why I included verse nine in this sermon. Because if you go back to verse nine, well, we'll hit verse nine in a second. Go back to verse 12. I know, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. Isn't that it? I've learned the secret, he says, to facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't know if you're like me, but maybe you've read this text over and over again, and you come to this part where Paul says, I've learned the secret, and you're asking the Lord to reveal the secret to you. Well, he knows the secret. Is he keeping it a secret? Or is he willing to share that secret? Because I want contentment. Is this, has this been a secret this whole time? That's kind of unfair. It's kind of unfair for God to expect us to be content in all things, but not know the secret to get there. Well, the secret's in the text, but you have to go back to both verse nine and you have to go forward to verse 13. So I'm gonna go to 13, then to nine. So Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But verse nine, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see, Contentment is the byproduct of peace with God. Because what is peace synonymous with? Contentment. Even joy. And if you step back and look at it collectively, you're seeing that Paul has been brought to a very low place and he's been brought to a place of plenty. And the way that he navigates all of that is he treats these as accessories. He can take them or leave them. If he has nothing for the glory of God, if he has everything for the glory of God. But the one thing that is immovable is the peace that he has that's been gifted to him ultimately through the gospel. That's what, that's what Philippians is all about. We've said it's finding the riches of Christ 
or finding the riches of joy in the depths of Christ. That is a gospel statement. That is saying contentment rests exclusively in the gospel, i.e. in the peace of God that passes all understanding and that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So peace and contentment are two sides of the same coin. Because of Christ, we have peace with God. The byproduct of peace is true joy and contentment. Contentment is the byproduct of peace, but it's also this, contentment is attainable because it is supernaturally upheld by Christ's power. It's attainable, and this is good news. If you felt discouraged at all because maybe you lack contentment, which all of us do, let me, let me help you turn this corner. This is great news for you. It's attainable, it's there. The Lord says, here, I'm gonna give it to you, but I, but I have a criteria. You know, there, there is a parameter here. There is a way that you get to this, and there's only one way. Jesus has done it. I'm not making it to where you have to put time in or work. I'm, I'm making it here, but you just can't go any other way. And that's through Jesus, that's through the gospel. Philippians 4.13 says, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now let me, I don't, I don't wanna belabor this. I know this is a, a, a verse that's uh, often and very easily taken out of context. You know, I think Tim Tebow might wear it on his, under his eyes back when whatever sport he was playing at the time. Um, you know, I, I, what's his name? When Evander Holyfield was going in to fight Mike Tyson, he had Philippians 4.13 on his back, on the back of his robe. So the sentiment was, I can whip Mike Tyson through Christ who strengthens me. I can whip Lennox Lewis through Christ who strengthens me. You know, because that's, you know, that's, that's, that's who he ended up fighting. So um, <laughs> if I sit under a weight bench and I say, you know what, put, put 600 pounds on there because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, ignorance is the word. Stupidity is a word that I, I, would, I would choose there because that's, that, that's not what's happening in the text. Now, let me say, can Jesus bench press 600 pounds? Yeah. Can he, can he, can he cause me to bench press 600 pounds? Sure. Fine. You know, can, when I, can he cause this team to beat that team? Sure, that's, that's fine. You can say that I'm not gonna limit the power of Jesus, but what I'm saying is that's not what this is about here. It's saying that Christ will strengthen us to do that which represents him well and brings glory to God the Father. That you can bank on. That is what Paul is saying. That is, that is why he is using these very intentional words inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, I've gone through plenty. I've gone through much. I've gone through abundance. I've gone through hunger and despair. But you know what? Come what may, whatever circumstance, he says, I can deal with it all. Why? Because of the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus that is guaranteed to carry me to a place that I glorify God. You say, well, what if you die? What if it's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can survive this beating. No, 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 you're still taking it out of context. You say, you know what? I can receive the riots and the calamities. I can receive the mocking and the persecution. I can receive that in such a way that glorifies God and I can do that through Christ who strengthens me. You see, the all things is key in this text. Paul is referring to having nothing and having plenty. At its root, I can do all things through Christ is about contentment rather than achievement, to borrow a word from someone. The final point is this, the contentment is, true contentment is when we experience joy. 
that cannot be affected by any outside agent or circumstance. Let me repeat that. True contentment. Here's a litmus test for you. True contentment is when we experience joy that cannot be affected by any outside agent or circumstance. And the joy that I'm speaking of, let me define my term because I know we can use joy a little haphazardly or loosely. I mean a joy that is rooted in regeneration, a joy that is rooted in becoming a follower of Christ, salvation. Because there's a salvific joy that Paul speaks of that's in connection with contentment. That's what he's talking about. You see, I draw a line of distinction between happiness and joy. And let me explain that a little bit. If I get a new vehicle, right? Right? If my wife loves me and I one day, one day get a new vehicle, I will be happy. I'll be happy about it. Yeah, it might get messy sometimes. Yeah, there will come a day where I'm not as excited about it. Maybe hopefully still grateful, but I'm not driving it to the Eller's house to show everybody. You know, I'm not doing that, right? So that's a happiness, which is temporal. This joy that, that I'm speaking of, this, this is rooted in salvation, which means it's an eternal, deeper, lasting joy. This is an emotion exclusive to regeneration. It's a disposition exclusive to regeneration. It doesn't mean cartwheels, hugs, and kisses. It means in the face of adversity, calamity, riots, and so on, is I have something that gives me hope that can't be stripped away from me. That's the joy I'm speaking of. So don't let something rob you of contentment that wasn't meant to bring you contentment in the first place. Don't let it happen. When we have contentment born out of peace with God, the times of plenty and the times of none, they don't matter. Those things don't matter. Those things are not the source of our joy. So here's the application in the close. Maybe you're in here and the times of plenty and the times of none do affect your life. You can't help it. You're human like me, you're fallible. And it does, it affects your life from time to time. Sometimes you do better, sometimes you do worse. If so, let's make an effort to stop wasting our energy on the things not meant to fill us up in the first place. Let's labor towards that, let's work towards that. My wife asked me if I wrote this sermon for her, to which I was surprised at that response because I figured she would say, you wrote that sermon for yourself. Hope you listen to it. <laughs> but I did write this sermon for someone. I wrote it for Evan and I wrote it for Clayton. And I wrote it for Zach and Austin and for Mark and Roseanne and myself and everyone in this room. It's written for all of you. If you want true contentment, it's rooted in peace with God. And peace with God is the byproduct of a mind that is set on noble things. That's all captured in the text up there in verse eight. And a mind that is set on noble things is the evidence of a heart that is in pursuit of Christ. You see that follows back, it just keeps going back. A mind that is set on Christ, thinks on certain things, practices certain things. The peace of God comes. The byproduct of peace is contentment. True contentment is a reflection of the sufficiency of Jesus. The application is simple. If you want to find contentment in your life, if you want contentment in your job, your marriage, your salary, your position in the church, you must have your mind and heart in the right place. And when we think on and practice the things that matter, our minds and our hearts will be guarded in Christ Jesus and able to have the necessary perspective required for true contentment.
We have to be careful that we are living as children of promise and not children in need because we're not. We're not in need because that implies that Jesus wasn't enough when he is enough. These examples are not intended to indict you, but to encourage you. Jesus is for your contentment. A part of that all-inclusive package of salvation is that you can have the peace of God, the strength of Christ, and contentment. If you're struggling with contentment, it means you're in one of two places this morning. One, it could mean that you're not in Christ. The gospel ensures contentment. It's a part of the package. We don't have altar calls here necessarily, but there's always an invitation. The invitation always is always to trust Jesus. Trust Jesus for life. Trust Jesus for contentment, for joy at the purest and deepest level. Trust Christ. Trust Christ for the atonement of your sins. Trust Christ in his work to eradicate all the sins of your past and the present and the future. And trust Christ that his work will secure the place that you have in God's kingdom so that one day you can stand at the presence of Jesus in heaven, in the place that's prepared for you and prepared for me and all who follow Christ. And that we can spend eternity experiencing the beauty of Christ. But maybe you're another person that's a follower of Christ who like the rest of us needs to recalibrate, needs to repent and needs to gain perspective. And you can do so by starting with getting your hearts and your minds guarded in Jesus Christ. And the way to do that is by thinking on the things that are true, the things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and excellent. Think on these things, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. And you'll be content. Let's pray. Father, we offer you thanks for another good day of worship. We offer you thanks for the, for the people that you've brought here today, both visitors and members. Or we don't believe that it's arbitrary or by happenstance that any of them are here. Or maybe you had something specific for all of us to hear, or I believe that. And Lord, I pray that we could reflect on those things. As we go throughout this week, thinking on and practicing things that are right so that we could have the peace of God that will guard our hearts and mind in Christ and the peace of God that will be with us and that will ensure contentment and that contentment on display will ensure that we rightly represent Jesus and his sufficiency. So Lord, make us image bearers and representations of your sufficiency from this point forward. And help us to come back next week or to come to our missional communities. Having been affected over the last couple of days as we reflect on these beautiful truths that you have given us. Father, we are weak and we fail so often. But thank you for mercy and grace. And thank you that you don't wipe your hands of us and say, you know what? I'm, I'm clean of you. I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. But Lord, you reach out and you embrace us. So Lord, I pray that our joy will be made full, full, uh, full throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.